Welcome to Orchids in Mind. I'm Jane Gilmore. And I'm Bettina Honan. We wrote the incredible Teenage Brain book because we wanted to make neuroscience accessible to the adults supporting teenagers so that the young people in their care could have a better future. Bettina and I firmly believe in the power of conversation. As Dan Siegel said, conversation is a sorting space for ideas. And so with that in mind, we've reached out to other JKP authors and put our shared passion for young people's well-being at the centre of our conversation. In each episode, as we marinate in our guests' expertise, we build bridges between our respective books and debate different approaches. So join our conversation as we dip into some incredible books about young people. And today we are so excited to talk to Vanessa Rogers. Uh, Vanessa is a nationally acclaimed youth work trainer and an author with experience of managing services for young people between ages 11 to 25. So she's best known for creating these practice-based educational resources for youth workers and teachers, and they've been published all over the world. They provide these really creative ways to engage young people in learning about really emotive topics, things like relationships and sex, pornography, and more recently, gang-related activities. And they do it in this format, which um, can be used in building-based settings. Her books are on the reading list for students studying social work and youth work degrees in universities across the UK, and she's a popular guest lecturer. She continues to work with young people across the UK. She's a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, a member of the Institute of Youth Work, an associate trainer for the National Youth Agency and UK Youth. Wow. (laughs) Vanessa, welcome. And thank you so much for coming and joining us today. So nice to meet you. So Jane and I have been reading your books and um, we really are so impressed by the skill and also the bravery, you know, to tackle these really tricky areas and really thinking about ways to have these hard conversations with young people. It's something we feel really passionately about, you know, it's the the heart of the books that we write as well. So we wanted to start by asking you um, to tell us a little bit more about the books uh, that you've written and why you've written them. Okay, um, so my books come out of my own practice. So these are all, uh, the thing for my books is that nothing goes in there unless it's been tried out with young people because I want youth workers predominantly, teachers too, uh, social workers, youth justice workers, to be able to know that when they pick it up to use it, it's already been tried and tested. It's not just something that I picked up and had a great idea with. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, which is good. Um, they came out of groups that I've run, services that I've managed, projects that I've worked on, and I've always worked with those young people that are deemed to be, you know, whatever the buzzword is at the time, most at risk, most disadvantaged, most vulnerable. I would say that perhaps they haven't found anything yet. Rather than all those negatives, I'm quite keen on changing the narrative on that. Uh, you know, say these are things that young people haven't yet found an interest in or they haven't found a way yet. I see it as professionals' responsibility to find ways to reach young people. Mm. The only thing on the young person necessarily. So, you know, very much trying to change that a little bit. If we give children labels, then they live yeah. up to them. And do we really want our children walking around thinking that they're vulnerable, at risk and disadvantaged? Probably not. 
No, absolutely. No, I agree. There's some good evidence of that, actually. Some studies where they said that, you know, if we tell teenagers that their brain is broken and all of those negative things, then they'll live up to it. So I love that idea. Um, yeah, just because the teenage brain is wired slightly differently to the adult brain, absolutely. Make it, it just makes it different. And that urge in the teenage brain to find a role. Now, that role could be a positive one in society or it could be one that's seen as a negative. And so what you're saying there, I think, is a wonderful reframing. Say, look, we'll find a way of describing you that's good, empowering and positive. And, we'll, you know, if we haven't found it yet, we'll find it soon. You know, and I, I think that's a really inspiring message. I love that idea. Yeah, if we take out maybe, so just change the words in. So instead of teenagers being aggressive, teenagers are assertive. Teenagers don't have such a filter. They say what they think. Yeah. That's really refreshing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We can learn so much from them. We really can. I totally agree. You know, they inspire and motivate me. Yeah. And I feel it's a privilege. And just hearing you talk, I can imagine exactly why young people are drawn towards you, because young people want to be respected and understood as, you know, as equivalent and and having a a capacity to be viewed in society, you know, as 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 an appropriate an appropriate status. And that's clearly where you start with your work. And that's coming across within the first few seconds. And that for a young person is the most attractive role model to have and I can imagine that that allows you to talk about lots of difficult messages because you take that starting point you know you're a great person you've got interesting things to say you're refreshing what a great starting point thank you I can't take all credit for it it's my professional background youth workers Mm. we start a starting point of respect now if I want young people to respect me I need to show them respect Mm. that is how I see it so, you know, yes, it's it's my absolute passion, which is why I continue to do the work as well as write about it uh, and train other people to do it. But, uh, yeah, definitely. That's why I love youth work so much. We have those skills and it gives us those opportunities to get involved with young people and find out what's really going on. Well, we've we've established that you do we talk about difficult topics. I've got a difficult question for you now. Okay, are you, are you braced, <laughs> Vanessa? Um, when we were writing the incredible teenage brain book, we were struck time and time again about the idea that the teenage brain is drawn towards their peer group. Now, um, if there is a choice between something and a peer group, young people will very very clearly often choose their peer group over any other choice for lots of good reasons. They're establishing their place in the community and so on. So we wondered, you know, reading the book that addresses the idea of gang membership, how might you advise youth workers to support teens who is the majority of time their choices are gang membership and the other choices are perhaps not as attractive, not as perceived as high status, how could you support youth workers to address that? That's a really difficult question, so I don't want to put you on the spot, but we're really interested in your ideas. If I had all the answers, do you know what? I'd be in charge of the world, wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll turn it around slightly in that. If we want to engage with young people who are choosing a lifestyle that perhaps we see as very negative, We need to be asking ourselves, why are they choosing it? So what is it that they get out of that? 
that they don't get other other places. Now, people say, well, I don't understand it. You know, they could get end up in prison. They could end up in trouble. They could end up dead. So why do it? And I think we live in a strange society. So uh, about last year, I was turning on the television during lockdown like everybody else. And on the one hand, there'd been newspaper, you know, only the month before about stabbings, which are dreadful. You know, it's always shocking when a young life is lost. And those poor families in the communities that they come from. As I watched the television, on one evening alone, there were seven choices to watch programmes about the Cray brothers. So we have this idea wow. of dads as celebrities. You know, so you've got the old boys, oh, they were all right, they were right geezers. The other old boys, they was mad. You know, then we've got the psychological aspect and we've got the films. Oh, we don't glorify violence. Well, we do actually. We do. Uh, these people that we watch, these films that we watch, these programmes, Peaky Blinders, I love it. But it all looks quite cool, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so if you're sitting at home, you've got, on the one hand, you've got the terrible headlines, you've got gangster celebrity. It's too easy to say, oh, well, grime music, that's it, you know. They, they yeah. watch that grime music and then they want to do this, this and this. It's you know, music maybe it's always had an influence on young people. Of course it has. But they're mixed messages. And if you're sitting at home and you've got not very much, you live in poverty maybe, where you live is not, you know, perhaps not as nice as you would like it to be. You are bombarded by pictures on social media of this insta-perfect life. Mm. You're told at school you're no good. You're told at home you're no good. And suddenly you're thinking, well, I want this, but there's no way for me to achieve this. And yeah. then suddenly there is. There's this gang that offers you friendship. It offers you a family. It offers you stability, a clear hierarchy. So yeah. I've heard young people say to me, or young men, have said to me, it's an opportunity to, for me to make something of myself. Mm. So seeing it's a it, it's structure almost. As actually, I can make money, and you can make money. I, can, I want the car, I want the girls. I see, you know, the big poster of 50 cents, you know, with the gun and, and the, the, the lovely ripped chest and all the goals and the girls and the videos. I want yeah. some of that. I don't yeah. want a life so ordinary that I'm going to end up, if I'm lucky, getting a job packing for Amazon. I don't want that. It's that sense of belonging. Yeah, it's a sense of belonging, isn't it? That is so fundamental to young people of that age. That's what their brain is, is, you know, drawn towards. Yeah, I really hear what you're saying. It's all of us. We all want to belong somewhere. Well, that's true. And we're all a yeah, little yeah. bit thrown in lockdown because the accoutrements that show the world who we are were taken yeah. off us. Yeah, yeah. So... So the ideas is a, are that you're describing is about finding an aspirational point that's yes. not not embedded in the in the gang membership, and that is the art, I guess, isn't it? I would say it's looking at what is that giving that young person. Yeah, it's giving them a sense of belonging. Yeah, let's let's find that a different way. If it's giving them a sense of self esteem, a place in the world, and respect from people. Let's find a better way, a more positive way, and mm. let's give young people the skills 
that they can that they find out who they are and they can make choices based on I want the best for me as a person. And if I if I respect myself and I want the best for me, the best for me is not putting myself in front of a knife. Yeah, it reminds me of of a paper that was recently published. Sarah Jane Blakemore, you know, she's been somebody who's written a lot of this research and she um, coupled up with some social scientists and they talked about this in, in relation to schools, that, that young people, teenagers need a, a role. So they will take on a pro-school role, they call it pro-school, if it's available to them. I'm going to be the good student. I'm going to be the, you know, the teachers are going to love me, whatever it is. But if that role's not available to them, they'll take on what they called an anti-school role. Yeah. So they need to have a role. And even if it's a negative role in society's eyes, a, a negative role is better than no role for a young person. Well, you know, yeah. if I'm the hardest of the hard, hard girls, how I get my, my respect is that if you don't do what I like, I kick off and my temper's fearsome. Mm. Now, I will say, oh, I've got respect. Well, I probably haven't, have I? People probably think I'm a bit of a bully and don't like me very much behind my back. Mm. But in my mind, I've got it all going on. What, what yeah. are you going to offer me that's any different? And, mm. and that's what I think we should be looking. What are we going to offer them? It's no good sending kids on anger management courses. They have a right to be angry. And you know what? Some of the stories I hear... I'm not surprised those young people feel really angry. They have been let down, quite and royally let down. Yeah. And they feel that there is nothing out there for them. So the, the, the people they look to, the aspirations they look to, have got that to offer. Yeah. And when they look for that reflected back in society, well, you know, as I say, you've got to turn on the TV. Now, me pointing out to them, well, yeah, the craze, yeah, you know, maybe they were. And my nan used to say that, uh, you might be able to hear I'm a London girl, I'm a hackney girl myself, that, um, you know, back in the day, old ladies didn't have to worry. But really, you know, these are criminals who spent most of their adult life in prison. Now, I don't think many teenagers sit down and think that is their aspirate, you know, that's what they want to aspire to for their lives, is to spend all their time in prison. So there has to be something in between that, you know, and certainly some of the projects that are really working well are having those teachable moments, those early interventions, yes. And if you can't do the early intervention, which is pretty much where my book is pitched at, really, it's about early intervention, building awareness, getting people to think, question, come up with solutions for themselves. Mm. You know, if they're already embedded in that life, some of the stuff is, is is good about triggers and stuff, but the projects that are having, it's very intense, It's so it costs money. You know, yeah. if we change things, we need to invest in it. Yeah. And it, it's intensive and giving young people a belief that there is a way out because I think for some young people, they think that's it. They've made their choice and now they've got to stay here. There is no other way out and there's no life outside of it. Yeah. Wow. And they don't all choose. They don't. Young people are groomed and seduced into things from a from a much younger age in some cases. So just another aspect of the book that we um, really loved and wanted to ask you a little bit about was thinking about the kind of power of relationships, really. So we've got a new book coming out, which is called How to Have an Incredible Conversation with Your Child. So it's all about strengthening parent-child relationships like in the preteen years, to kind of set you up, you know, for the teen years when it changes a bit. 
And in your book, the facilitator is kind of at the heart of the process. And we wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you think relationships kind of augment or change the power kind of of the content of the book, you know, or any of the books, really. I mean, I know the the Gangs, Guns and Knives is your more recent one, but um, there are so many that you've written. So really in relation to any of them, really. Um. Well, they are in, intended, they're primarily written for youth workers or those that are adopting a youth work approach. And mm. youth work is all about building relationships. So right. you wouldn't go in on these and just crack on with some of them. Some of them you can because they're, you know, they're, they're opening up the conversation. Uh, so they are for people who have built those, those relationships. And as I say, for youth workers, it is very much the power balance is very different to other uh professions and i think right. that's really why a lot of people think we're not qualified there's wow. this really idea that youth workers aren't you know like proper professionals um we do more than i mean it's you know hey we do more than play pool <laughs> <laughs> i have to say i haven't heard that myth but um <laughs> you know, we're not always behind the coffee bar either so I come from detached work, which is going out onto the streets and building relationships with young people. And wow. when you go out and do that, all you've got is yourself because you haven't got a fancy youth centre. Oh, come in and play. You know, we used to be able to hook people in with the PlayStations and stuff, but a lot of young people already got those at home. It's about the relationships that they build with those youth workers. And youth workers are particularly skilled at working with young people who perhaps have not engaged with other professions or other adults, but that's not been for them. Um, and I think it's about the power basis that's within it, that, that, that the structure is flat. You're negotiating that space with a young person. You're negotiating that relationship. Um, you know, I can't, I'm not going to be sending them out of class or, and I'm equally not going to be awarding them a, a GCSE at the end of it. Not with that hat on. I feel privileged. I'm dual qualified. I qualified as a teacher first. And I don't know why I did that, really, because it was never, never really for me. But actually, that structure from teaching that, get, that I got from teaching has really helped me because I've now applied that of how to build curriculums and things like that. I found that really useful in youth work. But youth workers, you know, we have a curriculum anyway. And this stuff is within it so we tend to tackle some of those harder maybe seen as emotive topics but it's interesting the way you're describing that you know you, you know a youth worker is not a teacher not a parent you know no. not a you know a cams mental health worker they don't have an establishment behind them and perhaps that's the genius in the relationship building opportunity because you know young people do want to form relationships with adults they are primed to do that and a youth worker might just be the perfect opportunity for for many kids who are disenfranchised with other you know establishments and i think it's about that having that positive intent when you start yeah you know we're, we're there for you yeah and we're there to find out what you want or what you need doesn't mean to say you'll automatically get it obviously but we need to know we're interested we want to know what's what's the world looks like through your eyes yeah, so it's a lot about listening, not telling, isn't it? And and actually, that's what you know. That's what we are always encouraging in my work. That's what I always feel like I'm encouraging adults around 
teenagers and young people just it's a bit more listening at that age than it is with younger children you know really curiosity is the big thing tell me about it what's going on for you yeah it's such a skill as well absolutely I saw this on the news and it says that you know this young person did this or that what do you think about that you know, how do you, what do you think of the words that were used in the media when they describe that story? And how does that make you feel when you hear those words? Does that resonate with you? Or how does it make you feel? Or it makes you feel angry. Why does it make you feel angry? Okay, so what what should the media be saying about young people? What would yeah. be a fair reflection? What Oh, you think that's unfair? Well, okay, tell you what, if you just stand there shouting, nobody's going to listen to you. But I can show you a way that you can get your voice heard. If you've got something mm. to say, let's work on that. And then I'll show you how you can have a say in your life. So you're starting with that consultative model. You're asking the question. So you form, you know, the young person's forming their own policy, as it were, about, you know, how media describes them or whatever. And then yeah. the youth worker is facilitating that in order to use their ideas. And it's exactly what the teenage brain is looking to do. It's it's ready for that. So it's it's a beautiful model. It's brilliant. Youth work should look easy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's not. If you're doing really good youth work, it should look as though you've all just you've just thought about it on the hoof. You've just come up with that. You've just done that. But there is loads of planning beforehand. Before youth work, for example, it was under a detached project. Going out into a particular area, they will have they will have done, you know, a needs analysis of what's going on in that area. They will have scoped out what other services are in that area. They will have gone and spoken to local people there. They will have seen what the parents' demographics is. They will have found out exactly what the youth offending rate is. All that stuff will have been done before they pitch up and that in their head they know that they're going to be talking about, I don't know, if they've been funded to talk about reducing crime in an area or whatever. But what we're not is somebody that goes in to prop up failing services or to go in and, you know, fill in somebody else's role. You know, it's about what the young people, it's always back to how does this meet the needs of young people? And I like the idea that you want to make it look easy. I think that's a, a great yes. aspiration for us all. But I want to talk about something hard because you really talk about the hard topics. You're absolutely fearless. You talk about pornography, drugs, alcohol. Um, and these are really important conversations to be had with young people. Um, so Bettina and I, neither of us had a straightforward experience with education. I was neurodiverse and had to figure that out. And Bettina has this incredible story. If we ever have time, we can talk about it like a phoenix from the ashes, <laughs> from a difficult start, <laughs> really triumphed in, in formal education. So our individual experiences really made us want to champion young people's access to education. That was our kind of basis of our of our remit basically into this literature so what brought you to tackle these difficult subjects where did the passion come from my mum has always said I was born with a social conscience but probably um where does it come from well so my teenage years I was a punk oh really yeah and a goth and I didn't finish full-time education I was a very young mum, written off at an early age. I suppose now probably I would be diagnosed as ADHD. Back in the day, I was, you know, labelled hyperactive. And I've always seen it as the greatest gift I've ever had. 
in that I can do many things at the same time. I rarely stay still. <laughs> so I, I, you know, but that's probably, I don't know, maybe I've come to that later. No, I've always liked it. But I think that's that wonderful reframe again, that, that seeing an opportunity and the energy is a wonderful position. And I tend to surround mm. myself with other people a bit like that too. So I don't know. Um, I I went back to education later and did my masters and all that stuff because I got to, I didn't I finished school but was not allowed. To, I was allowed back in to do my exams and that was it. But I didn't do A levels or anything. So mm. and then I went to art college because I thought that's where my life was going to be. Um, but <laughs> for an artist, I was a good writer. <laughs> and I worked in advertising uh, for a very oh, short wow. time. I loved that. And of course, that was great. That was fine. Yeah, I come from a family, a very big, loud, noisy family. My father always said, who was uh, in newspapers and absolutely passionate about free speech. And mm-hmm. his thing was you can say anything you want. And you're allowed to have any views you like, but you aren't allowed just to shout your mouth off in the corner. You've got to be able to back it up. And to do that, you've got to have a reasoned argument. So he taught wow. all of us that from whether we were talking around the dinner table at sort of age seven onwards. And I thought, yeah, actually, that's there's, that's quite good. That works. And it's pretty youth worky, really, for somebody who was definitely not a youth worker. Mm. Uh, so yeah, but I'm not surprised to hear that you went to art college because the books are so creative and a lot yeah. of the the ideas have got lots of visual impact as well. So I, I, it makes total sense. Yeah, mm. and that's my big passion. So I went into youth work doing community art and oh. you know graffiti and project anything that I can bring a creative. I did theatre design. So if you could see my house, it is very. Uh, well, at the moment, it's like a 1930s Art Deco kind of theatrical thing <laughs> I'm loving. <laughs> Bought a new house and decorated it, and it's a it's a piece. I love it. But oh, and I come from the clubbing scene, so very much around all that new romantic goth beauty and splendor, and walking around in pirate hats and being yourself. And I just just think all young people should just have the confidence to be themselves and for me a lot of it comes down to that yeah 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 no your story really makes me think you know about I suppose what you're saying is along the along the way you were trying out new identities weren't you that's the other thing about teenagers they try an identity does that fit how does that feel but also about how I think it takes a long time to get to the point where you really know what you want. You know, I think we have a thing of saying to young people these days, you know, find your passion. What's your passion? I don't think we know at the age of, we certainly don't know when we choose A-levels or GCSEs. Yeah, try it, see. And then actually your, your, what you've ended up on is a combination of all of the skills that you've gathered along the way, which yeah. is just fantastic. Um, so I've been a youth worker probably over 20 years now and I can't imagine doing anything else yeah it's great because there is there's so much you know you can never get bored because there's always something new comes up there's always young people create another 
thing to talk about or look at or there's another passion or worry they have that we can work with you know it's interesting they're very inspirational I think to work with yeah and again turning it on its head you know it's inspirational to hear people with different views and different absolutely they say oh you know young people aren't political yes they are oh they are (laughs) very passionate you know so again I, I think we should be engaging more with them you know, I think there's a lot of work to be done after this pandemic with young people. Mm. A lot of them have not had a very easy time at all. No. And adults need to be yeah. more support there. No, absolutely. Let's shift just a little, just to talk actually a related theme, just thinking about um, peers. And one of the things we know, and you know, we talk about in the book, but we really know from the research is that in the presence of peers, the teenage brain kind of behaves slightly differently. So, um, for example, a lot of labs, including Sarah Jane Blakemore, have shown that um, that one of the reasons might be that it's a big risk for a teen to speak out in a group amongst their peers because there is this kind of risk of losing face. You know, that's quite a risky thing for them to do, I think probably more than for adults or younger children. So your activities are all group-based, um, which is going to be really engaging for the teenage brain. But there must be that element of risk um, and that kind of peer dynamic. We just wonder if you could say a little about how you've seen in your work and you think that might influence how these activities are kind of play out in the in the group. Yeah, I don't really know, actually. Uh, do I know or not? I've got too many things in my head to... Uh... <laughs> I mean, I suppose one of the things you're saying is that trust is established, isn't it? Yeah. Very firmly established. Yeah, of course, trust has to be established. Yes, peers. Yes, we like to impress our peers. But I would argue that we all do that. I'm I'm so, you know, I'm modelling what you're doing because you're the ones in charge of this. So I want Mm. to appeal to you because I want Mm. to accept it because I'm human. So I'm saying the things that I think you want me to say. Even without thinking about it, that's probably what I'm doing. I would speak differently if the same question was asked by my friends. Do you see what I'm saying? So I agree with you that with some, particularly with young people, it is really important. They don't want to lose face. And it can be difficult if you've got dominant members of the group who are kind of almost, um, they're the ones in charge. And so they'll be looking to them first before they reply. Um, but there is, you know, those all those activities, I've used them with one-to-ones as well. And probably if you were looking at young people who were actually, you know, engaged with gangs, they need one-to-one support as well. They, you, couldn't, you could do it in groups, but you'll need one-to-one support as well to, to unpick some of that. Because, yes, of course. And when it comes to the gangs, often they're slightly older peers. And so they have that kudos of being a little bit older as well and looking like they've got it sussed. You know, when you're 14, 15, an 18-year-old looks really organised and really together. Mm. You know, they're grown-ups. Mm. So there is that kind yeah. of awe that is there as well that needs looking at. Yeah, is that, is that what you're talking about? Or, 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 or am I going on the right track here? Or what are you trying to... D- certainly. I mean, one thing that, that you know, I, I noticed that you de- described in the book uh, Bullying Court, didn't you? And you said, oh, yeah. you know, for example, think about the, the group dynamic. If there's one dominant person okay, or yeah. somebody who's very vulnerable in the group, 
that sort of activity might not go well. And I think that's the sort of thing that, that Bettina was touching on, that we do know that the group, the group kind of dynamic and the group um, value system is so powerful and will overcome, you know, any adult relationship potentially um, and very often. I agree with you. I mean, certainly the bullying call, um, that particular activity, I think I also go on to say, that youth work offers opportunities to try out different ways of being. So, for example, we would, um, this sounds, it's it's not done quite like this, but you would, the person who usually has the biggest voice in the group, you might give them the, the, the uh, role that is the quieter role for the role play. And you might give somebody who's usually quite quiet, you might give them the, more dominant role or not something that's going to frighten them so that they don't want to play or they don't want to get involved, but that people can get a different, trying out different ways of being, you know, different ways of saying no. I think there's certainly within the, um, one of the sex books, um, you know, the RSE books that I've written, there'll be, there's stuff around saying no and consent and that being so important because again, within that peer group and, with even within a relationship dynamic, if one of the first people is far more, you know, mm-hmm. stronger character, um, you know, having that confidence to say what you think. So building on it that way and giving people different opportunities to be. And I suppose it's also knowing your group uh, and yeah. understanding the group dynamics within that group, because what and none of this should be is another opportunity to reinforce the power structures. You know, that doesn't yeah. work. But certainly outside of it, of the work, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it, it, I, I. So I've heard young people. You know, I used to have to do a lot of anger management groups uh, when I worked uh, with youth vending, and they'd be saying to me, "Look, you know, I know that I'm going to end up inside if I'm not careful, and I don't want to do that. And I know that what you're saying is right, but if I got in that situation again." I'd still have to clatter in one because if I didn't, I would have let myself down and let everybody else down and then I'd be in trouble with them for not doing it. And that is really difficult because what are you going to do? But I also like the way that you're thinking about, you know, the, the higher status, you know, the popular kids in inverted commas can be maneuvered into giving some positive messages within the group and I think that's also a really powerful dynamic you know to support those kids who you know of course we we you know we're we're aware and we're of the of the kids that are more vulnerable and the kids that perhaps are more confident in the group and those kids can actually be voice pieces for some of the positive messages and healthy choices that you might want to, you know, to Most definitely. Uh, I mean, I've just been working, uh, so I've just trained up some adult youth workers who are mental health workers and youth workers to go out doing detached around mental health for young people. And then I trained up, 15, uh, the youngest was 15, oldest is 17, young people who are going to be, and I trained them up exactly the same, just, you know, made it young person friendly, for them to go out and do the same, they're going to be peer mentors. So mm-hmm. having that peer education role, I think, is really powerful. So certainly within that, definitely around any of those things is around training up young people and getting them to then go and deliver it to those slightly younger. So they are using that natural power structure in positive ways, whether it's peer mentoring on a wider scale 
or whether it's doing, I've done quite a lot of work around LGBTQ and getting young people who are maybe come out maybe a bit more confident in who they are and they're quite happy, you know, they want to go and do some positive relationship work with slightly younger young people to be able to say to them, you know, this is this was my route, this could be yours, don't worry, there's things that there's support out there for you, or whatever it might be. Um, and doing maybe sex yeah. education is really powerful between peers as well. As long as you, yeah. you know, you don't want to be, you just need to make sure those young people that come through want to be peer mentors because they want to go and share their knowledge and be a positive role model rather than reinforcing negatives. But I've mm. never had that side, you know, I've never had that side. Right, so most young people don't get a lot of opportunity to have yeah. kind of responsibilities and they really shine, I think, at it. Yeah. You know, they've, they've got a lot to give and they Absolutely. can probably do it better yeah. than me That's right. or another professional. Um, in some some instances, because it's 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 more the young person's lived life, and that's really backed up. You know, your experience is really backed up by the research showing that that in the in these adolescent years, teenagers are much more likely to follow peers Definitely. than they are to follow adults. It's the most powerful way to change behaviour at this time of life, in particular you know, compared to um, during childhood and, and adulthood, when you can use the more traditional kind of sure. approach to behaviour change. So, so powerful. I think they like having an adult to check it out with afterwards. So, Right. A trusted adult. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking in particular around sex education, that I am amazed with, you know, obviously I wrote the porn book, done so much research on that now. Um, currently just rewriting it for JKP because it's sold so well. We need to bolster it a bit more with because the national curriculum has now taken it on. It's on the national curriculum now. But young people, so they're learning about sex from porn. We know that. They're, they're, they've got the internet. They've got social media. Never before have teenagers had access to so much information about sex. But yet I still get young people saying things like, if I haven't got a condom, could I use cling film? What? Hmm. You know, oh, if you don't want to get pregnant, all you have to do afterwards is wash yourself out with full fat coke, not diet, because diet doesn't work. You're thinking, what? Wow. There's work to do. <laughs> There's work to do. <laughs> yeah. Vanessa, we could we could keep talking all day. Uh, actually, we really could. That's not just a turn of phrase. Really but we've should. come to our last question. This is our last hurrah, okay? Um, writing a book is a real learning experience. Of course, you learn about the literature, but also often you learn a little bit about yourself. Um, and we certainly did when we were writing our books. Um, I think that's fair to say, isn't it, Bettina? Yeah. Um, what have you learned since writing, you know, Gangs, the Gangs book, or perhaps um, your other books? And how has that influenced any new projects on the horizon? Um, the one I actually learned the most from is the porn one. Because before I could even, I've been going on about this for probably 10 years before I wrote the book. And it had already crept into the work I was doing that I was really concerned about the influence that porn was having on young people. Just their, just their attitudes, just things like, I don't know, waxing all their body hair off and, and all sorts of things. And mm -hmm. when I was coming at it, I would define myself as a feminist. 
and I was coming at it from the point that uh, that porn is a bit seedy, porn is wrong. And then I had to really start thinking about that because before I could write the book, I actually had to work out what my ethics were, what my values were, and they're not what I thought they were. Mm-hmm. And the more I think I've got it sussed, then I find out something else. So an educator who is has been working on the same agenda had got my book in Australia and she contacted me through LinkedIn and I just had the most brilliant conversation with her because they're doing, they're far more advanced than us. And she put me onto feminist porn and some of the people have been writing about all sorts of really interesting stuff. And of course, then I'm thinking, oh, no, no, there's something else into the mix. What do I think of that? So, yeah, I've, I, it has really made me question things that I would have said were core beliefs I've had forever since being a, a very angry teenager, angry at the world. But what an opportunity for self-reflection. That sounds a really, I mean, a really complicated journey, but one that, you know, was ultimately well, enriching, which is, you I know. I couldn't actually write the book until I'd done that journey for myself. Mm. And so, I, you know, that's why in the book it says to teachers, you know, or youth workers, whoever's delivering that work, really think about where you stand on this before you start. You know, because if you're coming from the point of view that all porn is wrong, it's disgusting, that will show. And that's not very helpful. You know, you need to know the legal side of it, that most porn is is legal after you're 18. And for me, it's not so much what they're watching, it's it's the influences that it's having and the impact Mm -hmm. it's having. Because if you've if you're nine years old and you're watching that. People say, yeah, but everybody knows it's not real. Well, yeah. But how many of us walk around with that idea that you have to have to kiss a lot of frogs before you meet your prince? Or <laughs> for the one? Well, that's from yeah. fairy stories. So if we assimilate that into our brain at a very young age, and that is the going through our heads, why wouldn't it be the same for watching really violent porn? Mm-hmm. That is sex. Because you don't know anything else yet. You you haven't even gone through puberty. No. So, you know, your your first introduction to that is what sex is. It's a bit scary, isn't it? So, you know, it really made Absolutely. me think that journey, you know, and, and that yeah. there wasn't as much written on it as I thought there would be. I thought there would be far more written about the impact it has. Hey, maybe that's something we could work on together. I'm interested on the impact it has on the teenage brain. I mean, apart yeah. from dopamine and all that stuff, I want to know a bit more than that. So, you know, there's some interesting stuff around, but there wasn't that much. And also I hadn't bargained on how reticent everybody else is on that topic, mm. how nervous it makes people. And, you know, you say I'm brave. It's what I talk about all the time. So it means nothing to me. You've got to talk about porn, I'm afraid. It has to be, it has to be a conversation. Yeah. But you, but your but your commentary about the about the um, you know how that might interact with the teenage brain is a really valid one mm. about you know because our learning experiences are very deep when we are in the teenage years, and so the messages and ideas and associations that one might learn anywhere about the environment, about yourself, about the world will also hold true for for porn and and ideas about sex and relationships. So it's a really valid question to raise. And that whole gender dynamic. 
Mm. You know, how do women feel they should be? How do men think they should be? Well, if we look at porn, it's not the same as, you know, the other messages we're getting. And yet we've got great culture in schools. So that doesn't surprise me. I don't know why anybody looked surprised when that came out. Yeah. The other thing that really strikes me about this generation compared to ours is, you know, I think maybe it was just me, but I imagine it wasn't just me. We didn't really know very much at all because the information was not available. Now, this generation have a knowledge, but probably with that, a bit of wisdom that we didn't have at that age. I mean, one of the things I've learned, not only from working in this field, but having, you know, kids myself who are now in their early 20s is I've learned a lot from them, actually. You know, this is not just one way. Um, And, you know, to do with the modern world and to do with the online world, you know, things that I didn't know. So it really is a conversation, isn't it, to have with young people. Um, And we can offer them support in some ways, but they can, you know, help us to understand in other ways. That's one of the wonderful things about your work. Yeah, isn't that a better way to come from it? Because how can you then demonise teenagers? Yeah, with that perspective, you can't. Absolutely. That seems like the perfect place to end our conversation, actually. <laughs> oh, Vanessa, thank you so much for coming today and talking to us. It's been an absolute, absolute privilege. So thank uh, you. No, thank, thank you. you so and much. your work is just so important. And um, thank you so much. And everyone for listening. We really hope you found um, lots of helpful ideas in your work. Um, so Jane and I use the handle Incredible Conversation on social media and uh, Twitter, it's Incredible Convo. So do follow us. Uh, we love having these incredible conversations like we've just had with Vanessa. So do join us. In the next episode, we'll be talking to Aidan Harvey Craig, teacher, student counsellor and author of 18 Wellbeing Hacks about capitalising on the teenage brain's passions and learning potential. He'll be sharing his brilliant evidence-based hacks that will boost team mental health. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know what you thought. Review it, share it, and subscribe to it. We discuss some incredible books, so if you want to follow up on any of them, you can find all the information in each podcast description. Mm-hmm.